For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Now, I have no comments today, and when I think about it, I'm not uh, I'm not sorry about it t- today because I'm really enjoying um, discussing King King John, the life and death of King John, with all of you out there. And uh, I I really I think I prepared a little bit of a, a lo- little bit longer program today, and I think we can get moving further further ahead. And then I have to decide which king we're going to do next. It's going to be interesting. So, so uh, we'll have to see. I'm going to have to really, really think about it. And maybe some of you could make some suggestions, what you'd like to hear from me. So on our last podcast, I ended on page 48 and line 1, 159. And the, 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 uh, what, what I want to do is, is I want to, to stick around this area and uh, of course it's uh, line 59 159 it's act 3 scene 1 now what I want to do for today's program just to get started is I'd like to go back briefly to page 47 and it'll be line 135 and I want to refresh your memories and certainly uh, my memory as to what surprise is taking place at Angiers it's it's it, to me uh when, of course, when we've been studying this, I just thought, well, this is really an interesting inset. So, so let's go back to page 47. And at 135, the line 135, King Philip, now they're all, King Philip is there, King John is there, Austria is there, Sir Richard is there, um, 
you know, the there's uh, we're going to find out as we go through this that uh, both mothers, Constance is there, that's young Arthur's mother, and then also Eleanor is there for King John. So, so essentially, what Philip says at the very top of the page, line one, he says, "Oh, here comes the holy legate of the Pope." And so I added the O there, by the way. It's not in the book. It's here, here, and and uh, here comes the holy legate of the Pope. Now, who this is? It's Pandolf, and this is a real historic figure. I mean, it, one of the things you have to understand: this is a history play, and so. So Shakespeare does have historic figures. Now, uh, uh, Pandolf is a cardinal, but he's also a, uh, he's a priest, and uh, he's in Milan, Italy, so he's very close to the Pope. And uh, Pandolf, he, uh, he kind of runs right in. And, and last time I read from you a little bit of a history from Schmoop. I don't think we need to, to read that again. You can go back and listen to uh, th that last week's program but uh pandolf says hail you anointed deputies of god and so so it, to, to me that's that's kind of an interesting statement there and he says hail you anointed deputies of god so so one thing that he is absolutely admitting to right up front is that king philip and king john are anointed deputies of God. They've been anointed king by God. And, and that's that's what he's admitting right up front. And uh, he goes on to say, to thee, King John, my holy errand is, I, Pandolf, of fair Milan, cardinal, and from Pope Innocent the legate here, do in his name religiously demand why thou, against the church, our holy mother, and I was raised Catholic, and, and we were taught about our mother, the church. It says, so willfully does spurn and force perforce. And, and so, so the thing is, is, is the Pope was mad because the Pope wanted someone, uh, you know, he wanted his pick to be the Archbishop of Canterbury. And, and uh, the, the thing is, King... John didn't want to do that. He has his own man that he wants in charge there. And he says, so will if he does thou spurn and force per force keep Stephen Langton, Langton, chosen Archbishop of Canterbury from that holy see. This in our foresaid holy father's name, Pope Innocent, I do demand of, I do demand of thee. So he's saying, look, the Pope is sending a message to you that he's demanding that you put his choice in as Archbishop of Canterbury. And the, the thing is, um, uh, King John did not want to do that. And in some ways, this is really medieval England. And uh, I think I mentioned to you before the last time, if you go further, further into the future, you have Queen Elizabeth I and her father, Henry VIII, would feel the same way but but this is the very beginning of actually organizing the the royal family and organizing who's going to replace the king when he dies this is it's it hasn't all been really well established but king john uh you know he has uh, you know he, he was very young when when he he was uh, crowned king 
he's made his own way, he's, he's made his own man, and he said, no, I'm not letting anybody from Rome tell me what to do. And, of course, that really is the right thing to do. And, um, you know, so, so uh, uh, King John then answers him. He says, what earthly name to inter- inter- interrogatories can test the free breath of a sacred king? Thou cannot, Cardinal, devise a name so slight, unworthy and ridiculous, to charge me to answer as the Pope. Tell him this tale, and from the mouth of England add thus much more, that no Italian priest, so notice he doesn't even call him the Pope, he just called him an Italian priest, he said, no Italian priest shall tithe or toll in our dominions. And of course, the you know, in some ways, we're getting right into the, the whole specter of the Holy Roman Empire, which, by the way, is rising again. And, uh, you know, we have a pope that's actually, uh, he's pretty involved around the world. He's, he's really involved. And so he feels like he's a dominant power that people have to deal with. He says, but, he's referring to himself now, he says, but we, as under God, are supreme head. So under him, that great supremacy, where we do reign, we will alone uphold without the assistance of a mortal hand. <laughs> so he says, I don't care what he thinks. We're not, we don't want any assistance from, from innocent. Now, I know I read to you last time, this is real history. This really happened. And, uh, you know, King John, if you look at the play, it says that, you know, our title is King John. Uh, you know, the life and death of King John. We know that before we're done with this series, <laughs> we're not going to have a King John. And so, so it's, 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 uh, really sad in a way. But listen, uh, he said, this is page 48. And again, this is where we ended here, but we didn't say anything. He says, so tell the Pope all reference set apart to him and his usurped authority. So, so he's saying, hey, this Pope's a usurper. He's not in charge of England. I am. You know, he's trying to usurp it all. And then King Philip, and, uh, he, he, He's really kind of shaking in his boots right here, what's going on. And he, he, he just kind of looks over at John and says, Brother of England, you blaspheme in this. And he said, you know, do you realize what you're doing? So you have both Catholics. French are Catholic. The English at that time were Catholic. And he said, man, you're, you're going to get yourself in huge trouble. And this is what King John says. He's going to stand his ground. He says, though you and all the kings of Christendom are led so grossly by this meddling priest, dreading the curse that money may buy out, and by the merit of vile gold, dross, dust, purchase corrupted pardon of a man, who in that cell sells pardon from himself, though you and all the rest so grossly led uh, this juggling witchcraft with revenue cherish, yet I alone, alone do me oppose against the Pope and count his friends my foes. And so in some ways, Shakespeare is being really, really kind of honest. And he, he's talking there about how the Catholic Church works. And uh, it really does go back to Simon Magus. Simon Magus wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, the Catholic Church, they do, they do have doctrines that say you can buy people out of purgatory. 
but they don't even realize there is no purgatory, <laughs> you know. So, so that's what he's talking there. He says, dreading the curse that money may buy out and, and buy the merit of vile gold, dross, dust, purchase, corrupted pardon of a man. You can't buy people out of, you know, you can't buy people away from their sins. They have to repent personally. He said, though you and all the rest so grossly led this juggling witchcraft. And so, so, uh, if you know anything about Simon Magus, and there is history you can read about him, you know he was a uh, he, he was into witchcraft. He he was into uh, corrupt Babylonian religion, and uh, you know he he bewitched the people in uh, in Samaria, and these people were brought in by you know the king of Assyria and other ones brought them in. Israel was taken out. Israel was sent. Uh, you know, to Assyria, and then eventually all the Assyrians, they traveled in through through Europe. And so a lot of people are Israelite today and don't even know they're Israelite. And so, but but we know that uh, that England is Ephraim. He's one of the sons of of Joseph. And we know that, that uh, the United States is Manasseh, another son of Joseph. We know that. And so, so, uh, uh, it, it, it is really just kind of fascinating when you read Shakespeare that he knew a lot of history. Now, he doesn't know everything that we know. And he said, uh, but but he t he talks about the church and he says, this juggling witchcraft with revenue cherish yet I alone, alone do me oppose against the Pope and count his friends my foes. And so, so King John says, hey, you can scare me all you want. But, you know, all the Pope's friends are my foes. And so so he's really, in some ways, he's got some strength here. Then Pandov says, Then, by the lawful power that I have, thou shalt stand cursed and excommunicate. And blessed shall be he that doth revolt from his allegiance to an heretic. And meritorious shall that hand be called, canonized and worshipped as a saint that takes away by any secret course thy hateful life. Now, if this is a this is a cardinal, this is a priest, this is a holy man, what he's saying is, look, if you continue with this, do you realize that the many of your subjects are going to not be allegiant to you anymore because you're a heretic? He said they're not going to be, you know, uh, you know, for you. And he said he said actually, you know, they may end up killing you because you're not listening to the Pope. And so so it, it is really interesting that this is there. So so he said, look, you know, Pandolf's saying you're, you're making a terrible mistake. He said, uh, you can't now, you'll, you'll never be canonized and worshipped as a saint. <laughs> you know, he said that your subjects are going to, uh, you know, absolve themselves of your of loyalty to you, and he said you might die with a hateful life, and in Constance, and this is really really kind of interesting, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this before the end of the program. Remember now, Constance, this is uh, this is Arthur's mother, she's right there as well, and she says, "Oh, lawful, let it be that I have room with Rome to curse a while." So here's Arthur's mom is totally agreeing with his cardinal. 
And he says, she says, hey, you know, I can now curse. <laughs> she wants to curse John because John will not make Arthur king. And uh, she says, I have room with Rome to curse a well. And she she looks at this Pandolf and says, good father cardinal, cry, cry thou amen to my keen curses, for without my wrong there is no tongue hath power to curse him right. So he said, look, I want to curse him, and I want you to bless my cursing. And Pandolf says, there's law and warrant, lady, for my curse. And so so Pandolf says, hey, wait a second. I can't curse for you, but there is law behind my curse. Because <laughs> you know, he's a Catholic, and he's a priest, and he's a cardinal. And then Constance says, and for mine too. When law can do no right, let it be lawful that law bar no wrong. Law cannot give my child his kingdom here, for he that holds his kingdom holds the law. Therefore, since law itself is perfect wrong, how can the law forbid my tongue to curse? And so, so she, she, Constance is really pretty upset right now because she knows Arthur is not going to be made king. And she says, well, John has the law. He can do what he wants, and that makes the law evil. And other people have the law, and they do evil things, so the law is evil. <laughs> that's her, that's her uh, way of looking at it. And then Pandolf, he, uh, he uh, listened, but he's not responding anything to her other than there's a law and warrant lady for my curse, but not for yours, essentially. Then Pandolf looks at Philip of France. He says, Philip of France, on peril of a curse, let go the hand of that arch heretic and raise the power of France upon his head, unless he do submit himself to Rome. Rome. So if you look at your little notes down below, it could be a scene issue where, where uh, Philip and John are in some ways holding hands. And, and then Pandolf is looking at the two, and he said to, to France, he says, look, uh, on peril of a curse, in other words, on the peril of getting excommunicated, let go the hand of that arch heretic. And uh, um, so, so essentially, what he's saying is, you gotta, you gotta cut yourself off from him. And then, um, you know, France is really being tested as well, because if the king of France doesn't doesn't uh, separate from John, he's going to be excommunicated too. Now. Eleanor steps in now, and it's interesting in this 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 Act Three at the end towards the end of Act Three, Scene One, is you have both mothers really involved, and you have uh, Eleanor. Now she she's looking at King Philip, and she says, "Lookest thou pale, France? Do not let go thy hand." In other words, what she's saying is, France, don't listen to Pandolf. Don't let go of essentially what she's saying when she says, let go of thy hand. Don't break the truce that you have with King John. Don't break that truce. They had made this decision. Blanche and Lewis are going to get married. That's going to solve the war. But, you know, Pandolf has his own ideas, and so does the Pope. He's speaking for the Pope. So Constance then pipes up and she says, look to that devil lest the France repent and by disjoining hands, hell lose a soul. So, so Constance is not happy. 
So you have the two women involved, you have the two kings involved, you got the the, the papal legate here, and then guess who is the only one that really sees what's what's coming? <laughs> and it's it's Sir Richard. <laughs> Sir Richard is right on the scene. And then if if you notice, they're right after Constant, then Austria gets involved. This is the Holy Roman Empire. It says, King Philip, listen to the cardinal. And uh, Sir Richard says, and hang a calfskin on his recreant limbs. So so Sir Richard's getting in the middle. You know, he's got the, we got the two women fighting. Uh, uh, and essentially, they're there to fight for their sons. And then you got Richard there, who is, uh, you know, probably one of the smartest guys in the play. And uh, I do have a little bit to read now about Constance and Eleanor. And this is, uh, this is from, um, let's see, I, I don't want to, this is from Course Hero. And again, I'm, I don't want to claim uh, this, I'm reading history. It says, it says here in King John, as in his other history plays, Shakespeare turns the political into the personal. Instead of trying to dramatize the dry, board game-like territorial politics of medieval Europe, he boils it down to a single question, who should rule? And that's really underlying these whole lines I've just read to you. Who should rule? Who should rule England? Is it the Pope? Is it Pandolf? Or is it John? And who should rule England? And, I mean, uh, France. And the thing is, in medieval history, if you go back uh, far enough, is is England owned a lot of French land. They they were ahead of it. And at the very beginning of the play, people in Angiers said to John, yeah, you are a king. And there are other people who were saying, you're the king. And and here, even even the Pope's cardinal is saying, you're king of, of England. And those lands in France are English. And so, so uh, it, it, it is interesting. He goes on to say, it says, Eleanor and Constance, the mothers of King John and Arthur, respectively, are even more keenly interested in this question than their sons seem to be. Who should rule? And Eleanor is right on top of it because she's really politically astute. Constance is on top of it because... Uh, you know, she knows that her son is in the line of kings and she wants him to be king. And so, so he goes on to say this, this, uh, this paper goes on. This is from, again, Course Hero. Uh, it says, the mothers of King John and Arthur respectively are more keenly interested in this question than their sons seem to be. In portraying Eleanor as petty and vindictive, Shakespeare is not being altogether fair. Her realm during her son's, uh, her contemporaries viewed her as a wise, charismatic leader who actively managed the affairs of the realm during her son's rule. This, however, is a simplification with a purpose by letting Eleanor and Constance argue over the crown in the bitterest and most personal terms. Shakespeare injects a sense of urgency into the struggle for the throne. King John and Arthur may be weak leaders, but their mothers, and by extension their courts, realize just how much is at stake. And so, so in some ways, John is a little bit blind and doesn't see what's really at stake, at stake here. And um, I was just reading 
to, to, in order to get ready for it to really understand this play better. And remember, it is it is a kind of a challenging play. But I've been reading um, Starkey's book. It's a history book on the, the English kings. And it's really interesting to see what trauma that King John actually came out of from his father, Henry II. And you can see that the, there was a lot of problems in the British throne at that time. And so, so to me, it's just really, really fascinating. But if, if, you, uh, if you know anything about Eleanor, she actually divorced her husband because he was so bad. <laughs> you know, if, if you didn't do what he wanted, he just killed you. And so, so Eleanor, uh, again, was, pretty, was a pretty wise lady. So, so notice that uh, Eleanor says, Lookest thou pale, friends, do not let go thy hand. Don't break that truce. Constance says, Look to that devil, lest that France repent, and by disjoining hands, hell lose a soul. So, so if he doesn't break it, you know, uh, he's going to go to, you know, the bad place. So then Austria, and this is what's interesting. Here's, here's the, the, uh, one of the people of the Holy Roman Empire. He said, King Philip, listen to the cardinal. So, so here, this is a, one of the, the officers of the Holy Roman Empire, and he's warning King Philip to listen to the cardinal. And, uh, you know, because the, the Holy Roman Empire is in cahoots with the, Pope. He said, it's going to get bad for you if you don't take care of this. And then notice Sir Richard, <laughs> he comes in. I love Sir Richard, even though he's a made-up character. <laughs> and he says, listen to the Cardinal and hang a calfskin on his recreant limbs. <laughs> so, so, you see, Sir Richard knows that King Philip and all this that's going on with John is, is King Philip is really still trying to wrestle the land away from John. I mean, he's, he's all for this. He's all for getting that away from them, getting them out of France. He, he wants to own all of that land all by himself. And so, so again, that's part of the question, who should rule? And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a long history between Britain and France over the lands that, that they had, uh, you know, taken over. So, uh, uh, then King John says, Philip, what sayest thou to the Cardinal? And then Constance, she steps in again and, and, uh, it, it, it's like, okay, she's a meddling woman. He says, what should he say? But as the Cardinal and then Lewis, this is, uh, you know, comes in there. And this is, remember now, Louis is the Dauphin and, uh, he's marrying Blanche. And I think, I think the wedding actually is already over. But Louis says, be thank you, father, for the difference. Now, that's just, that's the way Shakespeare uses the word, but it's actually price is what that means. Not difference. It's price. Be thank you, be thank you, father, for the price is purchase of a heavy curse from Rome. Or the light loss of England for a friend, he says, forgo the easier. And so what's easier? Is it, is it easier to take the curse from Rome? Or is it easier to, well, lose your, lose England as a friend? That could be the easier. And Blanche, 
This is, now she gets involved because this is her husband. Now she's ticked. She says, that's the curse of Rome. And, and he's saying that the, her husband is saying the easier way is just to, well, you know, dump, dump King John. But then Blanche is saying, no, no, the easier one is that that's the curse of Rome. Let them curse you. They can't, what are they going to do to you? You know, and then Constance says, oh, Louis, stand fast. The devil tempts thee here in likeness of a new uh, unadorned bride. <laughs> so, so his mother, well, this is a woman, this is Arthur's mom. And she's saying, okay, Louis, stand fast, because if not, you're going to look like an unadorned bride. Uh, you know, so so uh, that's that's really kind of humorous. So Shakespeare is throwing a little bit of humor in here as well. Then Blanche says, the lady constant speaks not from her faith, but from her need. And so so can you imagine, there's there's now, you got the papal legate, you got the two kings, now you got the two women fighting with each other. And now you got Blanche and Lewis fighting with each other. So this is all breaking down into to absolute, you know, dogfight. And uh, to me, it, it's just, you know, uh, it really takes a lot of time, and you have to sit and think about it to really understand what's what's really going on. Uh, and and so then Constance, so so here, Blanche is telling her the only reason why. Lady Constance is doing this because she doesn't have faith in God, but what she wants, she wants her son to be king. And who's going to, who's going to uh, kind of really benefit from that? Well, it's Constance if her husband, if her son is king. And oh boy, she goes after it now. She says, Oh, if thou grant my need, which only lives but the, but by the death of faith, that need must needs infer this principle so so that second needs there actually means necessity that need must nece must necessity infer this principle that faith would live again by death of need oh then tread down my need and faith mounts up keep my need up and faith is trodden down now now king john then comes on the scene and he says wow the king is moved and answers not to this so, so in other words, King John is disturbed by everything he's hearing. And then Constance says, oh, be removed from him and answer well. And then Austria pops in. He says, do so, King Philip, hang no more in doubt. And then Sir Richard comes in and says, hang nothing but a calfskin, most sweet lout. And uh, so he's, he's referring to Austria there. He said, you're, you're a lout. And then King Philip comes back in and says, I am perplexed and know not what to say. And then Pandolf says, What can thou say but will perplex thee more if thou stand excommunicate and cursed? So there's Pandolf. Oh, he's such a loving priest and from Milan. And he, you know, he serves the Pope. And he said, Better watch out. You better watch out what you do. You know, if you're excommunicated, you're going to be cursed. And so, so this gets Philip riled up. And he goes on and he says, Good Reverend Father, make my person yours and tell me how you would bestow yourself. So, so essentially what, what King Philip is saying, Hey, Pandolf, 
would you put yourself in my position? I mean, just think about it. Could you be a little more Christian about this? Say, I'm in a rough position here. He says, the royal hand and mine are newly knit. And the conjunction of our inward souls, married in league, coupled and linked together with all religious strength of sacred vows. And, and so, essentially, what King Philip is telling him, you know, if you look at it, you know, my son is my son, and Blanche is John's niece. So we're co-joined now. It's like we're family. We're one big family. And he says, you got to, can't you consider that? That, that, you know, are you going to rip a family apart? He says, and the conjunction of our inward souls, married in league, coupled and linked together with all religious strength of sacred vows, the latest breath that gave the sound of words was deep sworn faith, peace, amity, true love between our kingdoms and our royal selves. And even before this truce, but knew before, no longer than we well, could wash our hands. To clap this royal bargain of a peace, heaven knows they were besmeared and overstained with slaughter's pencil. When revenge did paint the fearful difference of insensate kings, and shall these hands, so lately purged of blood, so newly joined in love, so strong in both, unyoke this seizure and this kind regret. Play fast and loose with faith, so just with heaven make such unconstant children of ourselves, as now again to snatch our palm from palm, on swear faith sworn, and on the marriage bed of smiling peace to march a bloody host. And he said, this is war. You know, we've got a young couple married. You know, it, it's going to be horrible for them. He said, of smiling peace to match a bloody host, and make a ride on gentle brow. Of true sincerity, O oh, holy sir, my reverend father, let it not be so. Out of your grace, devise, ordain, impose some gentle order, and then we shall be blessed to do your pleasure and continue, friends. And so, so Philip is essentially begging, do not excommunicate me. Let's find a different solution for this. And then Pandolf says, All form is formless, order orderless, save what is opposite to Kingland's love, therefore to arms. Be champion of our church, or let the church our mother breathe her curse. So he's saying, look, if you want to really get out of this, you got to get to arms. You got to, it's war. You got to fight for the mother church. You can't let John win. He's, and he says, uh, uh, he said, a mother's curse on a revolting son. France, thou mayest hold a serpent by the tongue, a cased lion by the mortal paw, a fasting tiger safer, the, safer by the tooth, than keep in peace that hand which thou dost hold. And so, so you know, he's saying, look, you got to break the truce you have with, with John. And King Philip says, I may destroy my hand, but not my faith. And so, so Pandolf goes on and says, So makest thou faith an enemy to faith? And like a civil war sets oath to oath? Thy tongue against thy tongue, O oh, let thy vow first made to heaven, first be to heaven performed. That is to be the champion of our church. And he said, That's your first faith. You have to be a champion of the Roman Catholic Church. 
What since thou swarest is sworn against thyself, and may not be performed by thyself, for that which thou hast sworn to do amiss is not amiss when it is truly done, and being not done where doing tends to ill, the truth is then most done not doing it. The better act of purposes mistook is to mistake again, though indirect, yet indirect thereby grows direct. He's saying, look, he made a mistake. The best way to make a mistake or to, to solve it is to make another mistake <laughs> and break your t truce with John. And he said, yet indirection thereby grows direct. And falsehood, falsehood cures as fire cools fire. With the scorched veins of a new of one new burned, it is religion that doth make vows kept. But thou hast sworn against religion. But what thou swearest against the thing thou swearest, and makest an oath the surety for thy truth against an oath, the truth thou art unsure, to swear swears only not to be forsworn. And so, uh, uh, in other words, he's saying you're a liar. <laughs> you're a liar. Else what a mockery should it be to swear. But thou dost swear only to be forsworn, and most forsworn to keep what thou dost swear. Therefore thy later vows against the first is thy is in is in thyself rebellion to thyself. So this is typical Shakespeare writing. I mean it's it's uh he's really laying it on here. And the way he puts it all together, and, you know, it's it really is like uh you know, a poem. It says, And better conquests never canst thou make than arm thy constant and thy nobler parts against these giddy loose suggestions, upon which letter part our prayers come in. If thou fall safe, but if not, then know the peril of our curses light on thee. So heavy as thou shalt not shake them off, but in despair die under their black weight. And so Pandolf says, Not backing down. If you continue these uh, curses, you're not going to be able to shake them off. and But you're going to be in despair and you're going to die under their black weight. Then Austria says, rebellion, flat rebellion. And then Richard, Sir Richard, stands up and says, Wilt not be, wilt not a calfskin stop that mouth of thine? <laughs> so Sir Richard wants to shut this guy up. And then Lewis says, Father to arms. And then Blanche. Now, now, now we're going to see the war inside the new young couple. So Lewis says, Father, let's fight this. You know, let's, let's get old Pandolf. You know, let's take it on. And uh, he says, Father, let's get to arms. And then Blanche says, Upon thy wedding day? Against the blood that thou hast married? And so, so she's thinking, and maybe, maybe I, I misunderstood this, but maybe Lewis is saying, hey, let's go after John. Let's go after King John. And so he said, what shall our feast be kept by slaughtered men? Shall braying trumpets and loud curlish drums, clamors of hell be measures to our pomp? O oh, husband, hear me. I, alack, how new is husband in my mouth, even for that name which till this time my tongue did never pronounce. Upon my knee I beg, go not to arms against mine uncle. So there it answers my question there. So they weren't going against Pandolf, they were going against John. 
Conscience then says, Oh, upon my knee, made harbour kneeling, I do pray to thee, no virtuous dauphin, alter not the doom forethought by heaven. So Conscience says, No, no, Lewis, go after him, <laughs> kill him, get him. Blanche, now I see thy love. What motive may be stronger with thee than the name of wife? And then, then uh, uh, Constance goes on and says, That which upholdeth him, that thee upholds his honor. O oh, thine honor, Lewis, thine honor. Keep your honor. And uh, Lewis says, I muse your majesty doth seem so cold when such profound respects do pull you on. Now, Pandolf is still there. He comes in and he says, I will denounce a curse upon his head. Thou shalt not need England. I will fall from thee. And Constance says, O fair return of banished majesty. And Eleanor says, O foul revolt of French inconstancy. And John comes in and says, France, thou shalt rue this hour with this within this hour. And so... If you, if you look at it, um, things are really starting to break down. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the Catholic Church is right in the middle of it all. Now, Richard, he's back. <clears throat> Got to listen to what he says. Uh, Sir Richard says, Old time the clock setter, that bald sexton time, is it as he will. Well then, French shall rue. And so Blanche says, the sun's overcast with blood, fair day, adieu, which is the side that I must go with all. I am with both. Each army hath a hand, and in their rage I having hold of both. They whirl asunder and dismember me. Husband, I cannot pray that you mayest win. Uncle, I needs must pray that you mayest lose. And so Blanche is saying, well, look, who, who do I please here? Which side of the family do I please here? You know, if, if, uh, if, if, uh, you know, if I, he said, I cannot pray. She says, husband, I cannot pray that you may win. And then uncle, I needs must pray that you may lose. Father, I may not wish the fortune nine. Grandam, I will not wish thy wishes to thrive. Whoever wins on that side shall I lose. Assured loss before the march be played. And so so Lewis says, Lady with me, with me thy fortune lies. And then Blanche says, There's there where my fortune lives, there my life dies. So so she's thinking about King John. King John comes in and he says, Cousin, go draw out our puissance together. And so so puissance is just strength. And so, so essentially, he's talking to Sir Richard here. <laughs> he said, "Hey, Sir Richard. I mean, they are they are family. Go draw out our puissance together, our power." So, Sir Richard leaves. Is France? I am burned up with inflaming wrath, a rage whose heat hath this condition that nothing can allay, nothing but blood, the blood and dearest valued blood of France. And so, so King Philip says, Thy rage shall burn thee up, and thou shalt turn to ashes ere our blood shall quench that fire. So Philip's, he's a, he's a kind of a pushy talker. He's kind of proud of himself. I think that is part of the French background. Says, uh, he said, look, you can rage, 
Your rage will burn you up, and then you shall turn to ashes, ere our blood shall quench that fire. So, so he said, look to thyself, thou art in jeopardy. And then King John says, no more than he that threats to arms lets he, I think it's high, H-I-E, high. So, um, there we are. We've still got some time. So, let's move on now to Act 3, Scene 2. And essentially, we're now uh, right at the English camp. So, so there's two camps already. There's an English camp, and there's a French camp. So, all the warring that, um, that Angiers wanted, now they're just going to fight themselves over who's going to be excommunicated and who's not. So Sir Richard then says, Now by my life this day grows wondrous hot. So so Sir Richard's happy. He gets to fight. He's got the he's got the blood of his father in him. Some airy devil hovers in the sky and pours down mischief. Austria's head lie there while Philip breathes. And so so um I'm not sure if I understand what that means. I think that means he's taken prisoner is what that means. Austria's head is, but that's, that's really hard. There's not even anything in the note that really explains that. So that's just where this play is tough. All right. And then enter King John, Arthur, and Hubert. So Hubert's still around. Hubert, keep this boy. Philip, make up. My mother is assailed in our tent and taken, I fear. So, so essentially, um, Eleanor of Aquitaine is missing. So have they taken her? The, then Sir Richard says, My lord, I rescued her. Her highness is in safety. Fear you not. But on my liege for very little pains will bring this labor to a happy end. So so they're, they're, uh, Sir Richard has already saved Eleanor. And, and that's, uh, that's really a good thing. And so, so uh, Sir Richard can really is really a big help okay now we're going to act three scene three and so so uh there's alarms there's excursions there's retreat enter king john eleanor arthur uh, sir richard hubert and lords and king john says to his mom so shall it be your grace shall stay behind so strongly guarded and then to arthur he says cousin look not sad Thy grandam loves you, and thy uncle will, will as dear be to thee as thy father was. So I think, if I'm understanding this correctly, and if you see it differently, you can always write me, but I think uh, Eleanor is Arthur's grandmother because he's in that family line. And so uh, I'll have to check on that for next time. I didn't... I didn't uh, Take a look at that today as well as I should have. Um, Arthur then says, oh, this will make my mother die with grief. And then King John says to the bastard, or to King Richard, or Sir Richard, excuse me, cousin, away for England. Haste before and ere our coming see, thou shake the bags of hoarding abbots, imprisoned angels set at liberty. The fat ribs of peace must be hungry now, be fed upon Use our commission in his utmost force. And so Richard says, Bell, book, and candle shall not drive me back 
when gold and silver begs me to come on. I leave your highness. Grandam, I will pray if ever I remember to be holy. For your fair safety, so I kiss your hand. And yeah, so, so that is, uh, his grandmother is Eleanor. Eleanor says, farewell, gentle cousin. King John says, cuz, farewell. And then Richard takes off. Then Eleanor says, come hither, little kinsman, hark a word. And what she does, Eleanor takes, uh, Constance's son, Arthur, aside. King John says, come hither, Hubert. Oh, my gentle Hubert, we owe thee much within this wall of flesh. There is a soul counts there the her creditor, and with advantage means to pay thy love. And my good friend, thy voluntary earth lives in this bosom dearly cherished. So, so he's really thanking Hubert, and uh, he's really th- believing that Hubert has really helped King John's, uh, you know, uh, what J- King John wants to do. He says, "Give me thy hand. I had a thing to say." but I will fit it with some better tune. By heaven, Hubert, I am almost ashamed to say what good respect I have of you. And Hubert says, I am much bounded to your majesty. And so remember, Hubert is from Angiers. And so he's saying, you're my king, basically. And then John obviously feels that, that Hubert obviously did him some favors. He says, good friend, thou hast no cause to say so yet, but thou shalt have, and creep time ne'er so slow, yet it shall come for me to do thee good. I had a thing to say, but let it go. The sun is in the heaven, and the proud day attended with the pleasures of the world is all too wanton and too full of gods to give me audience. If the midnight bell did with his iron tongue and brazen mouth sound on into the drowsy ear of night, if this same were a churchyard where you stand, and thou possessed with a thousand wrongs, or if that surly spirit melancholy had baked thy blood and made it heavy thick, which else runs tickling up and down the veins, making that idiot laughter keep men's eyes and strain their cheeks to idle merriment, a passion hateful to my purposes, or if thou could see me without eyes, hear me without thine ears, and make reply without a tongue, using conceit alone, with eyes, ears, and harmful sounds of words, then in despite a broad-eyed watchful day, I would into thy bosom pour my thoughts, but ah, I will not. Yet I love thee well, and by my troth I think thou lovest me well. And then Hubert says, so well that you bid me undertake, though that my death were adjunct to my act, by heaven I would do it. And then King John says then, do not I know thou wouldst? Good Hubert, 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 throw thine eye on a young, yon young boy. I'll tell thee what, my friend, he is a very serpent in my way. And wheresoever this foot of mine doth tread, he lies before me. Dost thou understand me? Thou art his keeper. And Hubert says, And I'll keep him so that he shall not offend your majesty. And then John's, then King John says, Death. Hubert says, My lord. King John, A grave? Hubert, he shall not live. Enough. I could be merry now, Hubert. I love thee well. I'll not say what I intend for thee. Remember, Madame, fare you well. I'll send those powers over to your majesty. 
And then Eleanor says, My blessing go with you. And then King John says, For England, cousin, go. Hubert shall be your man. Attend on you with all the true duty. On toward Calais. Ho. So, so uh, we're, we're getting um, down into another battle. And I think if I understand what's going on here, uh, King John wants Hubert to knock off Arthur. That's what I think is going on here. All right, so we're getting pretty far ahead. This is Act 3, Scene 4. We're going to have just a few minutes for a, for a little bit of it. So entering now is King Philip of France, Louis the Dauphin, Pandolf, and attendants. King Philip says, So by a roaring tempest on the flood, a whole armado of convicted sail is scattered and disjoined from fellowship. Pandolf says, Courage and comfort, all shall go well, yet go well. What can go well when we have run so ill? Are we not beaten? Is not Angiers lost? Arthur taken prisoner? Divers dear friends slain, and bloody England into England gone, overbearing interruption spite of France. So so we're now in the French camp, and he says, um, Lewis then says, What he hath won, that hath he fortified, so how to be with such advice disposed. Such temperate order in such a fierce, co- fierce a cause doth one example, who hath read or heard of any kindred action like to this. And King Philip says, Well, could I bear that England had this praise, so we could find some pattern of our shame? Now Constance answers, Constant is entering. Look, who comes here, a grave unto a soul, holding the eternal spirit against her will, in the vile prison of affected, afflicted breath. I prithee, lady, go away with me. And Constance uh, says, Lo, now, now see the issue of your peace. Then King Philip says, Patience, good lady, comfort, gentle Constance. And Constance says, No, I defy all counsel, all redress. But that which ends all counsel, true redress, death, death, O amiable, lovely death, though ordiferous stench, sound rottenness, arise forth from the couch of lazy, lasting night. Thou hate and terror to prosperity, and I will kiss thy detestable bones, but put my eyeballs in thy vaulty brows, and wring these fingers with thy household worms, and stop this gap of breath with full, fulsome dust, and be a carrion monster like thyself. Come, grin on me, and I will think thou smilest, and bust thee as thy wife. Misery, love, oh, come to me. And then King Philip is pretty, pretty upset by what she's saying. He says, Oh, fair affliction, peace. Constance says, No, no, I will not. Having breath to cry, oh, that my tongue were in the thunder's mouth. Then with a passion would I shake the world and rouse from sleep that that fell anatomy, uh, which cannot hear a lady's feeble voice, which scorns a modern invocation. Lady, this is Pandolf. So I'm surprised that Pandolf is still here. <laughs> I thought he would have taken off by now. He says, Lady, you utter madness and not sorrow. And Constance says, Thou art not holy to belie me so. I am not mad. This hair I tear is mine. And my name is Constance. I was Geoffrey's wife. My young, my young Arthur is my son, 
and he is lost. I am not mad. I would, I would to God I were. For then tis like I should forget myself. Or if I could, what grief should I forget? Preach some philosophy to make me mad, and thou shalt be canonized, cardinal. For being not mad, but sensible of grief, my reasonable part produces reason. How I may be delivered of these woes, and teach me to kill or hang myself. If I were mad, I should forget my son, or madly think a babe of clouts were he. I'm not mad. Too well, too well I feel the different plague of each calamity. And then the king says, Bind up those tresses. Oh, what love I I note in the fair multitude of those her hairs. Where but a chance a silver drop hath fallen, even to that drop ten thousand wiry friends do glue themselves in sociable grief, like true inseparable faithful loves, sticking together in calamity. Constance says to England, if you will. King Philip says, bind up your hairs. Constance, yes, that I will, and wherefore will I do it? I tore them from their bonds and cried aloud, Oh, that these hands could so redeem my son as they have given these hairs their liberty. But now I envy at their liberty and will again commit them to their bonds, because my poor child is a prisoner. So she binds her head. And she says, And Father Cardinal, I have heard you say that we shall see and know our friends in heaven. If that be true, I shall see my boy again. For since the birth of Cain, the first male child to him that did but yesterday surprise, there was not a gracious creature born. But now will canker sorrow eat my bud and case the native beauty from his cheek, and he will look as hollow as a ghost, as dim and meager as an ague's fit. And so he'll die, and rising so again, when I shall meet him in the court of heaven, I shall know him. Therefore, never, never must I behold my pretty Arthur more. And then Pandolf, still there, you hold to heinous a respect of grief. Constance, he talks to me that never had a son. Philip, you are as fond of grief as of your child. And Constance says, grief fills up the room of my absent child. Well, that's all the time I have for today. And so we'll continue uh, with Act 3 next time. And so, uh, again, that's all the time we have for today's program. Please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page, Shakespeare's Royal Education. You will be able to find a good-used copy of King John at abebooks.com. Some copies will be under $5. So thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.